people pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Yeah. All right. Tell us everything about the greatest shot you ever took. Hmm. I'm Roger Sharp. I've always wanted to be a writer. Wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, divorced, actually. You should be happy. You finally wrote something important. So you're single. Welcome to GQ. Are people still going for drinks? Actually, I have a date. This probably sounds weird, but I play pinball all the time. Helps me focus. Are you any good? It may be the thing that I am best at. Why are they taking the machines? We got busted. It never even occurred to me that the game was illegal. But for over three decades, pinball was banned in New York City. I want to show the city council members that they've had it wrong for all these years. Oh, you're a reporter? I just have a question about the pinball ban, sir. Somebody keep these damn kids away from me. We're going to set up a hearing, and we'd like you to come in to testify. You're going to play pinball at City Hall? I want to redeem the game. (laughs) That is a game of chance. That is a game of skill. Well... Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this special episode, I spoke with Austin and Meredith Bragg all about their feature film debut, Pinball, The Man Who Saved the Game. You're going to hear from Austin first, then Meredith, and off we go, and I hope you enjoy this interview. You guys have been working now for well over 15 years. Can you tell me a little bit more how you kind of got into filmmaking and, and what that process was like for you? We were both comedy nerds growing up, right? We watched a lot of British comedy. We tried our hand at some really terrible sketches when we were little. Somewhere out there, there's a cassette tape that we made of like a Star Wars parody that I just hope never sees the light of day. Went to college, uh, James Madison University here in Virginia, and I started doing theater. I did a lot of theater, including a sketch comedy show that I put on in the student theater. And then when we got out of college at different times, but both of us ended up working at a public access television station. And, you know, I knew how theater lights worked. So I basically knew how TV lights worked already and, uh, got hired. And with that came a key to get into the building after hours. And so all of my, uh, you know, improv comedy friends from college, uh, and from DC, we would go in, uh, in the middle of the night and make silly videos for something called channel 101, which was, uh, started in LA by, Dan Harmon and Rob Schraub. There was a Channel 101 in New York as well. And the idea was to make 10 minute or five minute television shows. And so we had a couple of series on that. And eventually, I, you know, we had kids, we had families, uh, but we decided that we need to up our game and be better at this than we were. We did some 48 hour film festivals. We did very well with those. And um, we kind of stumbled into uh, a couple of short films uh, that we shot in LA with an actual crew. For for the first time, we had an actual crew. It wasn't just us holding the boom poles. And we kind of got hooked. MPI Original Films saw our first short 
and signed us up to do another one, uh, which was called A Piece of Cake, which had a very good festival run during the pandemic. So lots of Zoom festival calls, but it did well enough. It opened uh, Tribeca Shorts Program, and they gave us, uh, MPI Original Films gave us another shot to make a feature. Here we are. So those improv friends of yours, would, would they populate things like Defenders of Stan? Oh, yeah. That's all of them. Those are my college buddies. 90% of the people in that were my college friends. And the other 10% were my friends. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Who had a sweet Galactus co- costume. True. Yeah. So When you guys are, are working at stuff, I know that you're credited as both writers and directors, but how do you divvy up the work? Poorly. Poorly. Yeah. Um, wow. We tend to essentially write the same things. So we will, we will talk a lot. We will outline. Once we come up with an outline, we sort of know how the story is going to proceed. We'll then separate, go to our offices. Each of us will write the script separately, and then we will come together and trade the script with a highlighter. And we will highlight everything on the other person's script that we found funny or that we particularly liked and enjoyed. And then we'll trade again. So now I have my script back. And with a different color, I'll highlight everything brilliant that I thought Austin missed. And then we'll just discuss it. And depending on impending due date or just how close the scripts are, we may do that multiple times. And that's what happened with a a piece of cake. Um, And that's what happened with this film, Um, with Pinball. We... We wrote full scripts, um, you know, 100, 120 page scripts and individually and then discussed and switched things out. You know, it, it's it's a great, it, it's a inefficient process, but it's really helpful in the sense that if I get stuck on a scene, I just, I just don't like it. It's, it seems boilerplate. I'm just not, not excited about it. I'll quickly write something so I can finish it, but I'll move on and I won't think too hard about it and, and beat myself up too much over it. Because I'm going to cross my fingers that Austin has figured it out. 99% of the time, one of us has an in that the other one says, yep, that's good. That's great. Let's go with that. And if we don't, then we just know what we need to work on and we'll discuss it more. It's rare that we have those moments where nothing is working for a particular scene. and But when that happens, I think you have to sort of re-examine your priors, go back to your treatment and say, what went wrong here that we couldn't figure this part out? Now, you two are brothers. Do you have any other siblings? We do. We have a successful older brother, which is uh, a great thing to have when you tell your parents that you want to make movies for a living. Yeah, I was wondering how they took the news. Alex is uh, the oldest of the three. He is a neurologist down in Atlanta, National Merit Scholar, paid to go to medical school. I mean, he's he's great, right? He's the sibling you need to have if you want to go do wacky make-em-ups on your own time. So, Piece of Cake, all about little silver balls you make a movie about pinball which also focuses on a little silver ball as you're making piece of cake where you're just like oh we should just take this a step further eliminate the number of balls and go down to a bigger one we joke that we could we can't really remember where we first heard about pinball being illegal where we first heard that roger you know learned about roger proving that it was a game of skill and not chance it was one factoid on a long Google Doc that Austin and I share full of embryonic story ideas that we'll dip into occasionally. However, we think that perhaps we were at some time during a piece of cake, we Googled illegal silver balls and that picture of Roger that we ape in the film, but that picture of Roger in the city council hearing playing pinball with scowling city council members 
I can't endorse doing that Google search though. No. I don't, no. I don't think that's a good idea for folks. <laughs> but that may be where we gave up with it. But yeah, we're looking for a third. If anyone has a, a third uh, illegal silver ball story idea, we need we need to finish the trilogy. Our DMs are open. Tell me a little bit more about like, when did you actually reach out to Roger Sharp? How was that whole thing? I mean, it was February of 2020. We were looking for another project or just another idea, something to do. This is around the time that Tribeca was, you know, a piece of cake was supposed to premiere at Tribeca. So we were just hoping to have an answer to the what's next question. I saw the the bit on the Google Doc and I cold emailed Roger. I found his email. And I just emailed him and asked if he wouldn't mind jumping on the phone with me just to talk. I had read a little bit about the shot into the pinball world, Roger's shot where he calls the a shot in front of the city council chambers. That's pretty well known in the pinball community, but we're not pinball people. So this was sort of new to us. But I read that story and I thought maybe there was something there, but I just wanted to feel him out and talk with him. We got on the phone and we ended up talking for about three hours. He's a talker. I'm a talker. By the time this was over, I, I contacted Austin and I said, I think this might be a feature. And that's because he told me all of the other things that hadn't been written about that weren't part of the shot about him meeting single mother, about his time at GQ, writing the pinball book, meeting the people that as part of the pinball book research that created the game, literally created the game. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. And all of that and some of the great stories that he told, it felt more universal than just a movie about pinball. And that's, that was important to us because we wanted something that would appeal to pinball fans, absolutely something they could embrace, but also something that you didn't need to know anything about pinball to enjoy. So do you have to put together like a presentation for MPI and come in and say, we're going to do a movie all about pinball. And what was that reaction like? I mean, the funny thing is that, uh, when we were first approached by MPI, to, you know, a, for a follow-up, they were asking for ideas, um, when they specified, uh, no period pieces and no biopics. So of course we included this on our list, uh, on our short list. And I think over time they found that to be the most compelling one. What a steep hill to climb for your first feature by making this a period piece, by just having the, the scope of this project. I mean, how did you end up putting this all together? I mean, what was your approach to it? And, and also I'm so curious with this interesting way that you guys are talking about your writing, what different avenues were you going down? because he and I had created these different scripts and just talking through and using the device of having a modern day Roger Sharp be a part of the movie and be able to sort of critique and talk back to the director. We enjoyed that. So that was pretty early on. The original script didn't change that much from the first draft to what you see on screen. It was trimmed and a couple characters were changed partially for budget reasons. Locations were pared down for budget reasons. I mean, there are things and compromises that you must make in order to make a film a reality, especially on a, a, a tier zero budget like this. But we were always amazed at the cast and the crew and just everything that came together. This is easily the biggest thing we've ever created um, with the biggest budget we've ever created. Still, it's a low budget movie, indie film. I understand that on the grand scheme of things, it's small, but to us, it's huge. So we never felt like we were making any compromises on that front. If anything, we were felt super humbled to have all of these amazing people and resources at our disposal and really can't thank the cast uh, or the crew or NPI original films enough for producing this. It may be a low budget film, but it doesn't look like a low budget film. It looks fantastic. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs>
Can you tell me a little bit about your crew, your DP? I mean, how was that relationship? John Kang was our DP. We had uh, another DP that we had worked with on the short who couldn't sign on for this one. And so we sort of, you know, went searching based on recommendations that other people had. I'll say it. John was the only DP whose headshot has him smiling right? Every other DP is very serious and staring. And we kept on saying it was a mantra on this film. We're making a pinball movie. If we're not having fun making a pinball movie, then we're doing something wrong. And so that struck out immediately the way that he uses those little subtle camera moves. The footage that he, you know, we saw from him was incredible. We got on a zoom and, you know, he's was such a great guy, just such a happy, fun guy. He was phenomenal. And, you know, he knew that as first-time directors, you know, we were going to lean on him for a, a lot of moments. But he, you know, still very collaborative, and it was great. You talked about how you were preparing for things in uh, February of 2020, and I seem to remember that there was something that happened in March of 2020 that might have affected you and your scheduling. How did COVID affect the film? In, in a way, it kind of helped because everyone was locked down and that's when we first got started talking to Roger. Once a week or a couple times a week even, we would sit down on a Zoom with Roger for a few hours and just talk about things that were going on and hone down on certain aspects. We had Zooms with Roger and with his wife and with his kids and with James Hamilton and his sister. I mean, we were actually in a uniquely fortunate position that everyone was stuck at home and that we could say, hey, can you jump on a Zoom call? We spent the vast majority of that year talking and writing. There wasn't much else we could have been doing anyway. The timing was somewhat fortunate. When did you actually do the shoot? October of 2021. 21-day shoot. We were shooting in the Hudson Valley. Uh, we work with Choice as the on-the-ground production team. So we were in Newburgh and uh, Poughkeepsie, that area. And we learned uh, while we were there that just across the river from Newburgh in a town called Beacon, there was a barcade that also had to deal with a pinball ban on the books when they first tried to open up. What was the shoot like for you? How was it? Constant stress, but also wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to complain, uh, you know, when you're on set in this, you know, on these wonderful locations or, you know, even these, these built sets and there's just a huge team of people working to achieve this common goal. It was pretty fantastic. We had such an amazing casting crew. Like I can't speak highly enough of the people that we brought in. I know the cast had fun. One of the great moments, of course, we relied heavily on the pinball community to source a lot of those old machines. So there were times when we had 20, 30 machines on set. And so you break for lunch and suddenly you hear these things fire up and people are playing games in between shots. It was great. We had a good time. It was a lot like having a, being a part of a very stressful summer camp. There's a lot of fun, but you've also, you know, there are things you need to do and accomplish, but I agree with Austin. We made a lot of great friends, and I think of all the things, many of the many things we can take away from this, that's some of the friendships we built it's, it's high on that list. You could have pushed this a little too far, and the whole movie could have felt like a funnier die skit. Roger's accent could have been thicker, there could have been more mugging, these kind of things, but you handled it. I mean, it's a fun movie, but it's not, it's not a parody film. 
Yeah, it definitely shouldn't be. I mean, when you're making, you know, again, these sort of tier zero indie budget films, we we set off into each other. You got to get a little weird with it, right? You got to make it interesting, but you don't want to go straight to wacky town. It's got to, you know, you've, you've got people for 90 minutes. You know, I think if you go too bizarre, you're going to lose them. I mean, there's an alternate title rolling around, uh, Pinball, A Love Story. And I think that was important to us that this is in many ways, we're not making fun of pinball. We're not making fun of the people who enjoy pinball. We're not pinball people, but we now care very deeply about the, that community and um, the people who made it happen. And not just Roger, but all the other fabulous people we've met. If we had gone too broad, it, it may have run the risk of us looking like we were making fun of a niche community. And that's definitely not what we intended. We wanted instead to create um, an understanding that you know everyone, everyone I think, is involved in some small niche community. And uh, we wanted to show that respect to what they built. At the same time, again, it's pinball. It better be fun. No one goes to see a pinball movie dark and yeah but thank you i I think i heard earlier today i was listening to a filmmaking podcast and someone said comedy is like a souffle like it should be light and airy but it's really easy to mess up and i think that's correct getting the tone right and making sure that everyone understands what sort of movie we're making is is really important well to that end did you guys have a lot of rehearsals for this no not terribly just to with a budget couldn't sustain a, a large rehearsal process but we did do a number of Zooms with actors ahead of time, particularly Mike and uh, Crystal, who I think are both excellent part of that. And I, I just got to give our hats off to Lindsay Weissmuller, our casting director, who just kept putting amazing people in front of us and saying, choose one. And we're thinking, we want to choose all of them, like they're too many good people. So no, we didn't have a, a large rehearsal process, but we did have a lot of time talking with people ahead before they landed on the ground. Um, sort of give them a sense of what we were trying to do and what we were trying to accomplish. You mentioned tone, and I think one of the things that helps with tone so much is your score. Your score is terrific. Can you tell me a little bit more about the music? Rob Barbato. He is fantastic. Something I learned on a piece of cake, and I want to say I love the music on a piece of cake, but I also, um, one of the things that we learned from that process is that you can fall in love with temp tracks. So before we even started shooting, we had hired Rob uh, to create music for the film. And um, we, I, I knew exactly what I wanted. Or more importantly, I knew exactly what I didn't want. I didn't want disco. Disco and pinball doesn't feel right. To me, It dis, uh, the pinball should be a little grittier, a little bit more you know, upbeat and fun, um, but not crazy. Uh, I didn't want it to be too wacky. And so we sent a few temp tracks his way just to sort of say, you know, here's some reference material. And he started sending us songs um, while we were shooting and I got to play some of these songs for cast today. Like, oh, we got some mixes. Let's listen. They were great. I mean, I think probably 80% of the things he sent, we ended up like using. I don't think there were many that he created after the film was, uh, was done. Um, he, after the film was done, they would, you know, he would play around a little bit more with, with how instruments came in and out and, and added some, some more to it. But, uh, the basic tracks were there and the feeling was there. And, um, I, deeply adore the score. When did you guys have your premiere and how did it go over? Premiered at the Hamptons International Film Festival in the fall, which was, you know, fantastic and surreal. We bounced around from there. A lot of times we'd go from one festival straight to another. 
sort of living out of a suitcase. But if I list them, I'm going to forget some, and that's problematic. <laughs> well, you've got a lot on your website, so people can always check that out. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we had a, a, a great festival at Heartland uh, that was phenomenal. Um, picked Scad. up an audience award there. Savannah SCAD was a big was one. Amazing. Rain Dance. We were the closing night at Rain Dance, which was just awesome being in, in London. And Mike was able to join us for that one, which is great. There's been a number of festivals and, and it's been a blast considering our, our last festival tour with the short was uh, all done via Zoom. Um, this was our first real experience traveling with film and uh, it's been great. Did Roger join you on this tour as well? Absolutely. Yes. Roger and Alan. Um, sometimes we have more extended versions of his family arrive. We certainly have a lot of his uh, pinball extended family arriving. Um, the uh, the support from that community has been fantastic on the circuit as well. In fact, we just recently got back from South Carolina where we did a screening because there's still a law on the books in Columbia, South Carolina that prohibits minors from playing pinball. Um, we met with the minority leader down there, Todd Rutherford, I believe. We uh, had a screening there and it was just excellent. Two screenings because the first one sold out. The pinball community That's really, true. really That's showed true. up for that. And then we all went to Bang Back, and, uh, which is a pinball arcade, and proceeded to play there for uh, many hours. And Roger was there. Roger got I, to show off. It's fun to watch Roger. Roger's still an incredibly gifted pinball player. Just truly, truly good. Uh, we are terrible. Um, not even just in comparison, just period. We're just terrible, but, um, it's fun to watch Roger. He's, he's great. So, and it's fun to watch Roger in his element with people wanting his autograph and it was, it's great. Yeah. Roger has been, been, um, a big part of the, the push, the promo push for this. And it's been nice too, because occasionally we've had film festivals that compete that are on the same day. And sometimes Roger will be able to go to one will we go to another. So he's represented, uh, the film so low at a couple festivals and screenings. It's even better when he's there for the Q and a afterwards, because he gets all kinds of questions that we, we could not answer. So what's next for the film or is it uh, going to be playing? So at this point it it's out, um, you can get it on Apple TV and other streaming sites, um, video on demand, and there will be playing a few um, theaters across the country. So, um, I would urge everyone to take a look at pinballfilm.com that's where you'll find the latest news and updates as far as screenings there are still some festivals that will be playing as well so um take a look yeah that's where you'll find everything and what's next for you guys some sleep <laughs> if we're lucky yes not quite sure yet i'm still looking for our, our next idea circling a few options but uh um don't want to jinx anything so well, best of luck to you in the future. Again, Pinball is such a great movie. You should really be proud of yourselves and what thank a great you. job that you did. So thank you so much for, for making this movie. No, thank, thank you, you so much. All right. Well, Austin, Meredith, thank you so much. And yeah, definitely everybody check out Pinball, the man who saved the game or Pinball, a love story, as you put it. The story is about an ex-truck driver being named John James Wall before his friends blackballed him and nicknamed him Pinball. I gathered this story from a truck stop in Gallipolis, Ohio, when this old fella, I'd say 70 years old, asked me to buy him a strong cup of coffee and a piece of good apple pie. I bought the coffee and the pie for the old fella, and I'm awful glad I did, because he winked his eye and smiled and says, my, my. 
Then I noticed in a few minutes with trembling hands, he pushed a part of his pie and coffee back and looked at me with tears, running down his poor old weather-beaten cheek, and this is what he said. I'm an old hog hauler, I drove a big truck, I shot the pinball machine, but it caused me bad luck. But all I ever made in a pinball machine, I'd get four caddy cornered, then I'd miss the 16. I wish that I'd lost them old pinball machines. Many weeks they have caused me to live on sardines. Wife on the phone. The first thing she says, John, when can you come home? I've got a load of hogs and they've got to go. I'll see you when I get back from Chicago. She says, John, you know I love you. I wish you wouldn't go. Send your baby some money. They are hungry and cold The last thing she said And then she hung up John, you give up my loving And just to drive an old truck I made my trip on to Chicago I was gone two months Cause I shot up my dough When I got home My family was gone The best friend I had Rung my telephone He says, John I guess you wonder About your babies and wife Pneumonia got your babies and your wife took her life I've lost all my friends, I can't sleep for bad dreams I dream about an old truck and a pinball machine I never will forget the last words that that old man said Oh Lord, if I could live my life over And then he fell dead they tell me John is a clean-cut young man at the age of 19, but now he's in his grave, a victim of a big old truck and a pinball machine.